summer you've been studying the book of Psalms, and it's a great study, one of my favorite books. And it's interesting to me how the Psalms start out. Psalm 1 is a psalm that really summarizes the main theme of all wisdom literature, which is how the righteous and the wicked live, and it contrasts those two things. And then Psalm 2 pulls back the curtain on history and shows us that there is a cosmic battle going on between good and evil that we are a part of, but that's bigger than us. And then Psalm 3 really then begins a rhythm of morning and evening psalms. So Psalm 3 is to be prayed in the morning and Psalm 4 in the evening, Psalm 5 in the morning, Psalm 6 in the evening. We're gonna look at Psalm 5 this morning. And when, as I read this, as we look at this, if you look at this as a morning psalm, I think you start to get some of the purpose for uh, David writing this psalm, to prepare himself for the day, to remind himself of who God is, right? And, and who, who the righteous are, how they are defined, who the wicked are, and so then to prepare himself to act in a way that might honor and please God. So let's stand for this reading of God's word. Psalm 5, Psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not, are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that my mother used to say to my brothers and me is probably something that you have heard as well. She used to say, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? And there's wisdom in that, right? Especially learning to try to get along with people. But it makes for a terrible absolute, doesn't it? Uh, because sometimes being silent is not the best option. Sometimes you have to speak out, even if it's offensive. Sometimes even if it hurts somebody's feeling, 
You know, if you have the opportunity when you see, you know somebody is doing a poor job at something and either you're their boss or they've asked you to give them some feedback, being silent, not saying nice things is, is actually not loving. It's, it's actually hurtful towards them. And the best thing could, you can do is to tell them the truth, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer Many of you know his story. He was a pastor in Germany in the 1930s when Hitler was coming to power. And of course, we know one of the reasons that Hitler was able to ascend to power was because people, especially those with a voice, didn't speak out against him, right? Many, many who were in positions of authority were afraid. Some thought it, actually did think it was beneath their upbringing to criticize authority figures, and yet Bonhoeffer had the courage to speak out and speak the truth. And, of course, he was arrested and ultimately put to death for his conviction. But he died with a clean conscience, right? Psalm 5 has some things to say here that are not nice, right? This is, this is maybe the kind of prayer that your mama didn't teach you, right? And yet I think it has a lot to teach us about how to pray, right? The Psalms are our prayer book. They're not just for ancient Israel, they're for us to pray. And so we learn at least three things, probably a lot more, but I'm gonna talk about three things that we learn from this Psalm that will help us to pray. We, we learn to pray with urgency. We learn to pray um, in, in reality, and we learn to pray according to God's character. So we learn to pray with urgency, in reality, and according to God's character. Let's talk about the first one. I think in, in our circles, Presbyterian Reformed circles, there is a logic that's, that can happen with us, right? We believe and we like to talk about the fact that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And and that is true, but the logic often then becomes, well, if he's in control of all things, things are going to happen the way that they're going to happen, right? And so I don't have to do much for things to happen. And if I don't have to do much, the logic goes, then I don't have to really pray much and really pray with any fervor. But that is not the logic of the Bible, Yes, the Bible does say that God is control. God does have a will and a plan. But it also tells us that it says things like pray continually. And the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I love, I love the parable that Jesus tells. He tells this story about a widow who comes to court every day. And she cries, she pleads for justice. And the judge that is hearing her case, he's a terrible guy, right? He doesn't care about people, he doesn't care about God. And he just tells her to go away, you know, I don't care about you, I don't care about your case. And yet, she keeps coming back every day. Give me justice. And this judge finally gets so sick of her, he says, all right, I'll give you what you want. Just stop bugging me. And Jesus says, that's how you ought to pray. 
You ought to pray with such fervency and perseverance that it's as though if it were possible, God would get tired of you. Of course, we know it's not possible. He says, persevere in prayer. Now, this psalm, Psalm 5, was written, again, it's written by David, the greatest king of Israel, right? A pretty powerful man himself, who I imagine was used to getting his way, and used to getting his way pretty easily, right? He had servants. Pretty much everybody in the kingdom was supposed to do what he said when he said it the first time. And yet, David does not take God for granted when he prays, does he? Look at how he describes his own prayers. In verse one, consider my groaning. David groans before the Lord. Verse two, give attention to the sound of my cry. Right, David is not just praying meek, wrote prayers. He is putting his heart into it. He is crying out to God to hear him, pleading with him to hear him. And then verse three, he says, in the morning, again, this is a morning psalm, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Who's David watching for? He's watching for God, right? He's waiting for God to answer his prayer. He's watching for God to act on behalf of what he has said. In faith, he cries out, and then he watches. Friends, what do you want from God? What do you hope that he will bring you and give you? As you read this psalm, you realize we, we don't just settle for asking it for, for it for one day. Pray continually, every day, with urgency, and pray. Press God about it. I would even say risk being pushy. It's, and it's, if it's a godly thing that you're praying for, maybe that God wants it, right? And he wants you to fight for it. Why? Because... Well, I think because it strengthens your faith. It draws you close to him, right? Which is his ultimate desire, to have you close. So pray with urgency. The second thing is we learn here is to pray in reality. And you may think, well, what, what, how else can I pray but in reality, right? But I've noticed something about us, about Christians, Right, when we go through hard times, we have two different ways of talking about it. Right? We may be able to talk to a friend or a counselor about what we're going through. We may be, be able to describe it in great detail. And, to, and we ask them to help us think through it when we talk about it and we pour out ourselves. But then oftentimes when we get to prayer, we bring it before God we then just resort to all these cliches, right? Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm going through the valley of the shadow. Please deliver me, bless me, <laughs> if it be your will, right? And we don't get into it with God. I think we, 
we do that because we don't really see God as someone that we can be straight with. Right? We don't know what's appropriate for me to pray to God. So we end up mainly asking God, God bless me and bless those who are hurting. And often our prayers are not much deeper than that. But the God of the Bible wants to know how we really feel. He wants us to be honest about how life is. He doesn't want us to cover over the realities of life. And again, that's, that is one of the major lessons of the Psalms. Right? Over and over, David is not talking about a pretty part of life. If, it, if life is going well, he'll say it. But when life is hard, he doesn't mince words, does he? He talks about what he's experiencing in verse eight. He says, lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. And then he starts to describe his enemies. Verse nine, there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. These are, again, these are not nice things that David is saying. You're thinking, who woke up on the wrong side of bed? <laughs> who had a bad cup of coffee? But, but David is describing reality because he knows the hearts of men. He knows that they're wicked. And he is praying that. He is, he is praying what he knows. And here's the thing, right? God already knows the full truth of the situation better than we do. So go ahead and call things as they are. God doesn't need us to sugarcoat them for us. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, he talks about um, Korean Air. It's an airline that had at one point had the, the, um, the highest accident rate of major airlines for a while. And as they studied why that is, they realized that a lot of it was a communication issue between uh, the co-pilots and the captains. And they realized that there was a cultural uh, phenomenon going on, that the Korean culture of really saving face was at play there, that as the, the co-pilots were discovering sometimes huge problems that were going on, they wanted to try to save face for the captain and so they wouldn't directly address if they had made a mistake or if they had overlooked something and oftentimes they weren't able to adequately convey the problem until it was too late every time I have the I go to pray I have a choice I can say some nice things make me feel good about my duty of of having prayed, or I can get into it with God. I can talk about what's really going on in my life and my heart, and, and that's a lot harder to do, isn't it? That, that, that's hard for me. I don't like conflict, naturally. I don't like being vulnerable, naturally. And prayer, in some ways, is conflict. Right? Prayer is a vulnerable vulnerability that is uncomfortable. One of, one of my favorite images of prayer is Psalm 30, uh, it's not Psalm, excuse me, Genesis 32, where Jacob, 
He's been traveling and he, he encamps for the night by this river. And he's really at a crossroads in his life. He's having a hard, really a lot of hard things going on. And an angel comes with to him at night and he wrestles with Jacob. And we learn as we go on that the, the angel is probably Jesus himself. Jacob says, I have seen the face of God and lived. But he's, he wrestles with him. The, and the interesting thing, I think, is when you've wrestled with God, particularly for those of us who naturally don't like conflict, when you wrestle with God, you actually are more prepared for the struggles of the world. Actually more prepared for conflict with other people. So God wants us to pray in reality. And the third thing we pray, we learn about prayer is to pray according to God's character. The Bible reveals a lot about who God is. I don't, I don't think it reveals everything about who God is. I think we'll actually spend eternity learning about God. But the things it tells us are absolutely true about God right? and about his character. One thing it tells us is, is what God loves, but it, another thing it tells us is that God is a God who hates. In fact, Psalm 5 says that God doesn't just hate, he abhors. That's a pretty powerful word, isn't it? Abhors. Right? He, he hates it with, he loathes with intensity. Verse 6 says, the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. In case you didn't quite get it, he elaborates. God does not delight in wickedness. Wicked and evil cannot be in his presence. Verse five, God hates evildoers, doesn't let the boastful into his presence. Uh, there's another saying that I learned somewhere along the line as a kid. I don't know, remember if my mother taught it to me or not. You... You've heard it. Love the sinner, what? Hate the sin. All right, now again, that may be true for how we should often ask, act, but if we're to take this psalm at face value, we have to acknowledge that at some point, there's no distinction. Right? At some point, a sinner becomes defined by his sin, and God for God to hate the one is for him to hate the other. Now again, why, why would God, David talk about this? Why would, he, why would he talk, this is stuff you don't talk about, right? At a, at a nice party, right? What are you talking, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about God hating things or hating people, and yet, Again, David wants to bring out not only the fullness of his situation, but he wants to bring out the fullness of God's character. Uh, he doesn't want a stereotype of God. He doesn't want to settle for a God of our approval. He doesn't want to settle for a God that we make in our imagination, a Stepford God. He wants to know the true God. The, he knows the more that we get of God, the more we see his greatness. And so to name God's character in prayer helps us to shape our prayers. 
right? God is not going to grant things that go against his character. This is what Jesus means when he says, ask for anything in my name, I will give it to you, right? Now, when you first read that, you first hear that, that sounds like a fantastic blank check, doesn't it? Yeah, okay, my, when's my Ferrari, my Ferrari going to be on the way, right? When is my easy life coming? But there's that phrase right in the middle of what Jesus says that a lot of name it and claim it preachers don't get or, or ignore, right? In my name, in ancient culture, your name was tied to your character. So Jesus is saying, whatever you ask for that's according to my character, according to who I am, according to my will and what I desire, that will I give to you. It's still a fantastic promise. It's still more than we should ever feel a right to have. And yet he says, whatever you ask for according to who I am, (coughs) excuse me, I will give it to you. I was thinking about this the other day when my kids went off to school, I was thinking about how do I, first day of school, right? How do I pray for them? I, I often pray something along the lines of, Lord, bless my kids, protect them, um, help them make good decisions. And then I read this prayer, uh, which, which helped me pray. I said this, first day of school prayer. Lord, do we pray that this school year would be hard, but not too hard. Let our children struggle enough to develop character, perseverance, and hope, but please do not let them fall into despair. Allow our children to make mistakes. Teach them to learn the consequences of their action, but please prevent them from going down roads that lead to self-destruction. Lord, allow our kids to be lonely enough to develop true courage but also give them the sweet gift of friendship and community. Allow our children to be broken hearted, that they may learn that you alone will never leave them nor forsake them. Friends, that's a prayer that takes God's character into account, that takes his will and his purposes in our lives into account. Allow our, I love that. Allow our kids to be lonely enough to develop true courage. That's how God operates, right? He, he often puts us through things to develop the virtues that we want. I think this helps us see that prayer is a two-way street. Prayer is not just us telling God what we want. It's, it's learning to ask for the things that God wants. It's learning to put ourselves in alignment with him, in alignment with his character. This is why prayer goes hand in hand with reading the Bible. Because where do we learn about God's character? Where do we learn about his will? We learn it in scripture. You wanna pray deeper prayers, read deeper into scripture. Right? You wanna find voice for your life Learn to to pray along with scripture. And I'm sure Blake has been encouraging you. Pray these psalms. They'll give voice to the deepest yearnings of your heart. So Psalm 5, it teaches us to pray with urgency, to 
pray in reality and pray according to God's character. But there's a problem if we do that. <laughs> there's, there's kind of a catch in this psalm. Because if you do these last two things, pray in reality and praying according to God's character, there is a catch-22. And it comes back, we've looked a little, talked a little bit about verse nine, and if you look again, David pray, prays about his enemies. There's, what does he say? Is there no truth in their mouth? Their inmost self is destruction. Their throats an open grave. Make their, bear their guilt, O God, for they've rebelled against you. Right, David's praying reality about his enemies and about God and about God's character. But when the Apostle Paul takes these words, he puts them in Romans 3 in his great letter to the Romans. And when, when Paul uses these words, he's not talking about those enemies out there, right? He says those words are about whom? About everyone. They're actually, they actually apply to us. We are the evildoers. We are the enemies, the rebels of God. Right? And that was true about David as well. As much as David was a man after God's own heart, we read about when he meets Bathsheba and he becomes a liar and a murderer and an adulterer. Right? So the reality is if we pray according to God's character, we know that God does not delight in the wicked, then rather than listen to us, he would be just in condemning us, in destroying us. So how do we get free of God's wrath? Right? I mean, isn't that what we really fear? That God will not, not listen to our prayers? That he won't listen to us because we've not been good enough. Right? We've rebelled. And a just God has to punish rebellion. Well, the key, I think, really is in verse seven, where David says, I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. Entering your house is really a way of saying enter into your presence, right? And that word, or that, that, that word in, in the Hebrew for steadfast love, it's a word that you read throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated faithfulness, loving kindness, steadfast love. It's a word chesed. It's, it literally means covenant faithfulness. You see, God had made a covenant, an agreement with his people that he was going to send a savior to free Israel from their enemies, give them clean hearts, and God, and, and David is claiming this promise, right? David's not saying, I'm, I'm coming into your house. I'm approaching you, God, because I've done enough good things to do that. I've merited my, my arrival with you, right? I've, I've pleased you by the things that I've done. No, he's saying, I come into your presence through the abundance of your steadfast love because you're going to send a redeemer, to cover my sins and the sins of my people. And of course, God is faithful to his promises, right? He did send a redeemer who bore the guilt 
of his people and took away that guilt. Jesus was the only righteous man to walk with God and to be able to pray to God without the stain of sin upon him. And God the Father delights in his son. And the gospel tells us that if you are connected to that son, God delights in you as well. And this is the ultimate power for prayer that your mama may or may not have taught you, right? See, a lot of us were, were taught that God only listens to you when you've been good. I think that's probably what we naturally believe about God. He only listens when we're good, when, right? When we've, we've tried to do right, when we've tried to uh, tell our friends about Jesus, when we've tried not to cuss or lust, right? Only then does he really listen to us. But the gospel tells us that God listens to his children all the time. Not because their prayers are magical, but because they're his children. And he loves them. And so when you go to pray, you will often hear that, that voice, that condemning voice says, stop, stop praying. You know, yeah, what are you doing? You're not good enough. God doesn't listen to people like you. If you, you hear that voice, know that that voice is the devil. And there is only one response to him. To say, I know I am not good enough, but Jesus was good enough for me. And God listens to me all the time because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you delight to listen to your people. You delight to hear from us. You want to know us. You want us to come to you. You're watching and waiting and drawing us to you, and yet we so often treat prayer as a burden. We treat prayer as as something that uh, is not as important as other things in our lives. We neglect it. Either from wrong ideas about you or just utter rebellion and hard-heartedness. And Father, we pray that you would melt our hearts with the truths of Jesus' story. That though we were rebels, though our sins were many and were like scarlet, yet Jesus came to make us, to wash us clean, to make us fit for you. And may we see prayer now as a delight. May we be drawn to you, to know you, to wrestle with you, knowing that we will always come out victorious because you are for us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.